Welcome to Spark, Careers in Agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, President at Paulson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Spark. Today, we are talking to Carrie Rinker, and Carrie is principal attorney at Rinker Law with offices in both Illinois and New York, which she founded about nine years ago. And it's probably a little bit unusual for us to talk to, um, A, someone who is an attorney, because we've not yet interviewed anyone in that field yet, which is exciting, but also to have a very urban office location and then your location in Illinois. So, Carrie, welcome to Spark. Would you maybe start out by telling us about Rinker Law and what your role is like there? Sure. Thanks for having me. So, Rinker Law started about nine years ago. I started Rinker Law out of my studio apartment on the Upper East Side whenever I was living there. I went to law school out on the East Coast, so that's sort of what took me uh, to that part of the country. And uh, I grew up in agriculture. I grew up on a farm in central Illinois, baling hay, showing cattle through 4-H and FFA and the whole nine yards. And I went to law school because I wanted to help people involved in agriculture production. And, uh, you know, there weren't very many uh, law firms in New York that practiced agriculture law. In fact, I don't think that there were any. And so I decided to hang my own shingle about nine years ago today and um, have it looked back since. Well, that's a, actually a really good point. Did you find that there were a lot of clients there in the New York area right when you started out? since you were the only shop really working on ag law? There were none, and there were, were not a lot of clients uh, there in the metropolitan area of New York, but New York as a whole is actually quite agricultural when you think about upstate New York, um, particularly in the dairy industry, and out on the east side of New York and, and uh, Long Island, particularly out in Suffolk County by the Hamptons, there's different kind of agriculture than I grew up on. There's more vegetable farming and um, things like that, a little bit of horse production. But there was there was certainly agriculture all around me, about an hour, an hour and a half drive from New York, but not as much, of course, in metropolitan areas. I did sort of get a little bit involved with rooftop farming. And as my practice grew, I started to have more clients who I would consider food entrepreneurs, the people who were making jams and jellies or chili sauce and other types of food products and selling them either at farmer's markets or direct-to-consumers or sometimes some intermediary um, mechanisms there. Like in your day-to-day work, what types of activities do you end up doing for these agribusinesses? First of all, I want to back up a little bit on defining what agriculture law is. Agriculture law really touches upon every area of the law. So it is an industry-based practice as opposed to a practice area-based practice. So what I mean by that is agriculture is criminal law. I worked briefly for a law firm in Wyoming, and I handled some criminal trespass tickets for uh, ranchers. You know, it's bankruptcy, it's personal injury, it's business, it's estate planning, basically touches upon every single kind of law. And so the type of law that I do specifically is more in the transactional neighborhood. I do have some litigation right now uh, in Illinois um, between farmers and perhaps a landlord and a tenant, but it's more transactional. And so what I mean by that, it would be things like drafting contracts, 
business formations. I do some farm estate and succession planning. I uh, do some help with compliance work, not as much in the courtroom per se. I would describe my food and agriculture part of my practice as being more national. And I think that whenever you're entering into the litigation world, you really need to have uh, close proximity to the courthouse. So that would make it impractical for you, really? Yeah, about a, about an hour to two hour radius from where I'm located is about as far as I can really manage any type of litigation. You mentioned this, now you've got spending maybe most of your time in Illinois. Is that back where you grew up? Yeah, I'm about an hour and a half away from home, and I bought a small little horse farm outside of Champaign, so I now have chickens, uh, four goats, a few cows, and a couple loose rabbits in my barn that uh, somehow got out of their little rabbit hutch, so I have to catch them. So I'm a little bit of a farmer myself right now, and I'm close to my home farm in Shelbyville, which is about an hour and a half away. Maybe let's talk a little bit about what your life was like growing up on, on the farm by Shelbyville. So we grew up and we had a Simital cattle, which is a, a beef breed. You know, I have the slogan is breed them all Simital. So my family raises seed stock cattle and would primarily sell you know, animals that would be shown, you know, in a show ring. My dad also sells some bulls in the commercial market as well. My dad was an agriculture instructor at Lakeland College, and so um, education was sort of in my blood uh, growing up, and the livestock judging team would come out to our farm and try to judge various classes and things like that. And I grew up showing cattle through 4-H and FFA with my own projects, but then I would also help my father around the farm. Our farm wasn't as concentrated on grain production, but since my father has retired from Lakeland, um, he sort of has retired into full-time farming, and so we're doing a lot more on grain production here in the last decade. So only farmers do stuff like that. They actually leave a job, a big job, and then retire into farming. I think that's really interesting. Yes, isn't that true? <laughs> yep, they always just have this amazing work ethic and always, you know, just a great way to grow up. Can you kind of look back a little bit on your career and tell us maybe about some sort of an event that maybe was pivotal for you or changed the course of how you ended up where you were at? The biggest the thing that happened to me that sort of led me in the direction of wanting to go to law school was that I was an intern on Capitol Hill. I did my undergrad at Texas A&M University, and they had a, a great congressional internship program that was there through the um, agriculture college. And so I completed a, an agriculture and natural resource policy internship, and I worked for Kevin Brady. I think, um, some people might know them if they follow the Ways and Means Committee uh, there in Congress. So he was a representative, and at the time I was his constituent because um, his region sort of um, went into College Station, which is where Texas A&M is located. So I interned on Capitol Hill, and prior to that opportunity, I hadn't really been exposed to attorneys. I think I, I thought a little bit about going to law school, but to be perfectly candid, I didn't really understand what attorneys did uh, other than what I saw on television. I didn't have attorneys in the family. And so that was really my first exposure to law and policy. And uh, it seemed like every other person in Washington, D.C. had a law degree. And I, I was actually living that summer at the Georgetown Law School 
dormitory. So I had it coming from me from every angle. And um, at that time, I'd already committed to getting my master's degree at the University of Illinois in ruminant nutrition. And so applying to law school at that moment wasn't really an option. So I completed graduate school. And uh, during those two years, I really thought about do I want to pursue a career in academia? Do I want to get a PhD? Do I want to go to business school? Do I want to go to law school? Do I want to go out and get a real job immediately? You know, So I really thought about it. At that time, I felt that I was really called to be an attorney. And so I decided to go to law school at that time. So I was wondering if there was just someone who intercepted you after that, after you're working in animal nutrition or ruminant nutrition. That's quite a drastic switch to take on law school. <laughs> yeah. Because you've been thinking about it for a while. Yes, it was. And um, so I like to joke that I'm, I think I'm the only attorney in the country who's also a ruminant nutritionist. <laughs> so during all that back and forth and coming and going through your, your university career, can you talk about people that you interacted with there and, and how they maybe helped shape you? Through, throughout my university career? Yeah, through all the schooling that you had. Yeah, I went to a lot of different schools, you know, so to back up, um, I did my first two years at a junior college uh, near my home in Mattoon, Illinois. I didn't live at home at the time. I did live away um, from my parents. Um, at that time, my father was actually an instructor, and I had my very first college class with my, with my father. But it was on Monday morning, which is not good at 8 o'clock. It's not a good time to have your father as, as a teacher. That was really um, a time in my life where I look back at that experience, and I was sort of becoming a young, young adult. It's my first time living away from home. I was at a junior college. I was traveling the country, participating on the livestock judging team at a very competitive level. Uh, it's my first time really studying agriculture. I mean, although I took ag in high school, it was my first time really concentrating in it. I have my associate's degree in agriculture, and I really liked the setting. And in a community college, you know, the classes were much smaller. And when I transferred to Texas A&M, some of my more basic classes were quite large. I think that there were 700, 750 people in my accounting class, so maybe I'm uh, mistaken on that number, but it was quite a large class. And so when looking back at my educational career, I really appreciate the time on getting started, having those first two years at a community college. It's a good transition, maybe from the farm. At any point during either your education or now that you've ventured out into your, your own business, can you talk about anyone who was maybe important to your development along the way or a mentor you may have had? I've had a few great mentors. I have a very short list of people that I admire a lot professionally. One of them is Dr. Chris Skaggs, who's at Texas A&M University. He was most of the reason why I went down there, he was a person who recruited me, and I've always just really admired him from a professional uh, standpoint. I think one of my favorite things about him, uh, and anybody who's had a conversation with him will probably agree with me on this, is that no matter who he's talking to in that moment, he really treats you like you're the most important person in the room. It's something that I've really have tried 
take in my own life as well is that no matter where you are and what you're doing, to be really present and to be all there. So that was one of the characteristics that I really admired about him. I also completed an internship program with the American Scimitar Association in Bozeman, Montana. And the exec at the time was Dr. Jerry Lipsy. He has since retired. Even though he was not an instructor per se, in that time of my life, you know, I was an intern there whenever I was about 21 years old. And so I think that he had just as big of an imprint on me as some of the other instructors. And not only did I really admire his enthusiasm, but I really loved how well he could connect with people and his understanding that agriculture to a large extent is about the people who are raising our food and families. And that's something else I've really tried to take with me in my career is remembering at the end of the day, you know, the farmers and ranchers that grow our food. I mean, they're, they're people with families and to try to try to remember that, remember the importance of those people. Yeah, I would imagine that especially in some of the aspects of law that you work in, it's pretty important to have great relationships with those people at the end of the day. So can you talk maybe about a, an obstacle that you may have had that you were able to overcome? I think that's always one of my favorite questions, and I think it's always really inspiring to our, our audience. Starting my business in and of itself was a big obstacle. I started my law practice with no clients, no money, and no plan, right? It's like <laughs> everybody's <a> nightmare. <laughs> and living in the most expensive city in the country. And so people ask me, well, how did you do it? The answer to that question is is a little bit of trial and error. When you are going to start a business, no matter what kind of business it is, whether it's a law practice or a bakery or a farming enterprise or a graphics design company, I don't care what it is, you have to have a plan for money. And that money can come from savings. That money can come from other people like a spouse or your parents or, you know, GoFundMe <laughs> or or a loan, um, or thirdly, can come from a side hustle, come from money coming from other income. And so what I ended up doing was, is I worked for about a year and a half as a contract attorney at large Wall Street law firms there in Manhattan while I started my law practice basically on nights and weekends. And that's how I was able to pay my rent, to get the uh, money flowing, for lack of a better word, while I built up my business and while I got clients and got the phone ringing. And eventually, I had to say to myself, okay, well, if I'm going to make a go of this, I have to stop doing contract work and be brave enough to fly off of this cliff and hope that like, my wings are going to come out and everything's going to be okay and I'm not just going to get all tumbled and bruised on the way down. And uh, that's basically what I did. About a year and a half into my law practice, I stopped taking contract jobs, and I said, okay, this is it. This is my full-time job now. And ever since then, I have never taken another contract job. I've had a full-time law practice ever since. And the phone has not stopped ringing, and I have always had billable work on my desk. How have you been able to grow that? Are you just working through word of mouth and just building up a client base? A lot of it has been very organic. And I've been very, very blessed with that. When I first got started, social media played a very big role into my firm's development. I started an agriculture law blog. I was very active on Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, as my practice has now grown, I have less time for those types of activities. But that's how I started things from the 
um, very infancy of my law practice, I was in involved in an organization called BNI, which stands for Business Networking International, and I'm still a member of BNI. Um, and I'm a, a very big fan of that organization. And what it does is it's, it's basically a ref business referral network. Here in Champaign, for example, I'm the attorney that's in the chapter. There's an accountant. There's a real estate broker. There's all sorts of different professionals. And the hope is, is that over time, as you build trust and you get to know each other's businesses, that there's a very natural referral source that's there within that chapter. So I was involved in BNI in Manhattan. There's chapters all over the country and all over the world. Uh, through that organization, I did a lot of just feet on the ground, hustle and networking, just going from networking events, meeting people for lunch um, and coffee, and just getting out there. And in fact, you know, just last month, I got a referral from an attorney um, that I met many years ago, we had lunch, and uh, she was on an attorney listserv, and they were looking for an agriculture attorney, and then she remembered me. I really love this analogy that, that growing a network is a lot like farming, right? You're, as, a, as a farmer, you're sort of planting your seeds, and it's not a quick investment, and that's how I sort of feel about my network that I've built. I've sort of cultivated it over the years, and then now here I am nine years later into my law practice, and you know, business just comes now. Well, that's a great way to help our audience remember how important it is to have a network because I, I think it's key actually to your success. I would say it's the same in the marketing industry uh, as you describe it. A lot of times those relationships do take years for sure. Absolutely, and I think a lot of people forget that social capital is real capital and you can expend it the same way as you receive it. And so, for example, just last week, somebody wanted to be introduced to a specific type of professional and wanted me to make that introduction for them. They saw that I was connected to this person on LinkedIn. And if I do that introduction incorrectly, right, if I don't ask permission from the person who wants to be introduced, or perhaps that person really isn't that great of a referral um, or the introduction to make for whatever reason, then my reputation is at risk, right? But if I'm able to do it correctly, then I basically have gained points and for both of them. Um, so when later I need a, an introduction or I need a favor, you know, maybe it's just like I need a let, some kind of a recommendation or whatever it is, I need that favor that I can kind of cash in that social capital. And people, and this is a little bit of a B&I thing, it's giver's gain. People should never do favors for other people, hoping or planning on getting that favor back in return one day. But it's it's currency that you hope, you know, as you plant those seeds and that and you cultivate it, that um, you know that crop is going to grow in one way, shape, or form. I believe in karma a little bit, for lack of a better word. Some wonderful advice there, kind of all wrapped up. So I'm going to ask you some really specific questions about LinkedIn because I see you're pretty active on there. Do you accept all of the requests that you get off of LinkedIn? Or are you kind of uh, careful about that. I don't, but I'm not as discriminatory as I know that some people are. So I know that some people for sure will never um, accept uh, an invite from people that they don't 
know personally or they haven't met in person. Um, so I don't really feel that way. I sort of looked at my LinkedIn in a couple ways. I look at it as my online resume. I look at it as a not really a bar. It's probably not a, a best way to look at it. But if I was going to enter into an online business networking room, right, who am I going to let into that room, right? So I'm going to be discriminatory insofar of making sure that they're not spammers, that I do have a legitimate connection with them. Um, my suggestion also is that if you're trying to link up with somebody, I like to always say how I met them. Like, oh, I met you last month at this, this conference, and just so that person might feel more comfortable about accepting that request. I love that way you describe thinking about that as who to invite into the room. That's a great way to think about it. Okay, I was just really curious about how, how you kind of yeah. the call on who you build your network with. Um, and I'd also not heard of BNI, so that's really interesting. And I, I think in, in ag marketing, we, of course, think of National Ag Marketing Association as one of our primary networking organizations, but there are a lot of them out there. So you didn't necessarily stick with one just in agriculture. No, not at all. I have different parts of my law practice. So I do food and agriculture, and I also do family law. And so B&I has been um, probably a little bit more helpful to me than my family law side of my practice, people with divorces, you know, prenups, custody issues, et cetera. But I tell you what, being an attorney who does food and agriculture law, there aren't very many of us. And so people really like to meet um, professionals that have unique backgrounds and services because, you know, they never, you never know when, when that's going to come in handy. And so you'd be surprised how many referrals and introductions I've had on the food and agriculture side of my practice, even in whenever I was living in New York. Good to be unique. Yep. <laughs> so you've already given us quite a bit of really great advice, I think, for our audience, but um, just specifically in thinking about what type of advice you would give our, our young audience, what would you say? I would say to never be afraid to think outside the box. That's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that I have um, for people. You know, whenever I started my law practice, my agricultural law practice in Manhattan, which is the most densely populated you know, city in the entire country, a lot of people thought I was crazy, you know. But it was the perfect thing for me at that point in my life. And I'm very thankful for me being brave enough to to really paint my own path. And I think it's so easy for young people to look at successful professionals and to try to emulate them. I know that sometimes that I'm at fault for wanting to do that too, but what's right for somebody else might not be right for you. And to just not be afraid to, to think outside the box and to, to carve out their own path. That is great advice because you're going to be <laughs> – you were going to live with that path for a long time, for sure. <laughs> you know, you. so I got a chance to watch your commencement speech. You had some wonderful advice about failure there. Do you mind sharing that with our audience? Yes. So I like to tell people to not be afraid um, to fail fast and to fail forward. And so, you know, I think that failure is inevitable in life. And I know that for, for my own self, that every single time that I have failed, I've actually learned more from those experiences than the times that I got it right. And so I just encourage people that in those moments of failure to really just soak it in. Like this is a learning experience and how you react in those moments are really tell a lot about you. 
you know, as a professional. That's very true, especially that reaction part of it. And I like the idea of it's always good to kind of pause too when you're when you're taking in what maybe what just has has occurred. So I'm going to change a topic up a little bit. Um, you are exposed to so many aspects of what's happening in agriculture. Can you talk about what you're seeing happen out in in the industry and anything that you might have that you're concerned about? I feel like agriculture is really changing, and especially when I lived in New York, I remember I would have conversations with people. I mean, these are people weren't that were not involved in agriculture; they're just you know consumers. And uh, they would ask me what I did. I told them that I did agriculture law. Usually, the next question that they would ask me was, "Well, what side are you on?" And and then you know, sort of my response was, "I didn't know agriculture had a side." And I think that that's a little bit of the problem right now in the industry. Like, when did all of a sudden we have sides in agriculture, big agriculture, small agriculture, organic, non-organic, GMO, non-GMO? It's kind of pitted us all against ourselves, and I'm not sure why this happened. And I think that that's one of our biggest problems is we're not we're not really communicating to the consumer in any kind of united or concerted fashion. We seem to almost be in argument with each other sometimes about our ideologies with these things or our stances on policy. And I think it's fine for us to have differences of opinion, but at the end of the day, isn't everyone in agriculture on the same side? And that's to grow, you know, a healthy product for consumers that are affordable to them. And so that's what I would sort of encourage the industry as a whole to think about is um, how we can have that united front together. Yeah, I wonder if that's a kind of a byproduct of just how diverse farming is these days. There are so many methods that you can pick and, you know, just trying to decide what the right way is. I wonder if that's just naturally polarizing because you're exactly right. That's, that's how I feel things are too. And, and we really all just want to feed everyone in a healthy way. Yeah, I think that that diversity should just be embraced. You know, there's a lot of different kind of agriculture for a reason. You know, I'm I'm dating someone and we went grocery shopping and, you know, he didn't want to look at anything that was organic because he's, you know, on a budget. And whereas I know for my own self and I know I have friends who only want to buy things that are organic because that's very important to them. And thank goodness we have options for consumers, and that's how I look at it. We're very, very, very fortunate, the options that we have. So you're really actually very young and early in your career, um, but I'd like to ask you this question anyway. What do you think um, people will say about you once you have stepped aside? How would they reflect back on your career? I hope that people will see me as a person who is who leads by example, I think that that's always really important for any professional to really make sure that they are doing what they they say that they're going to do and lead a life with integrity. Yeah, that's great advice. I hope that for myself, too. (laughs) Carrie, have you ever been a mentor? Uh, And can you tell us maybe what you've learned from that? So I haven't been a mentor as much in my life as I have been the mentee, but I feel like mentoring is really, really uh, important. And I remember distinctly whenever I started up my own law practice, I really needed some mentors. And um, I met them very organically at networking events and things. And, and I'm still in contact with these people. And and this does not apply to every person. But I remember for me specifically starting my own law practice, 
I would offer to buy them lunch or perhaps give them a bottle of wine for their expertise and their assistance. I have to tell you that those tokens really went a long way. Oftentimes, they did not want, you know, for me to to pay for the lunch or, or things like that. But finding a good mentor is invaluable, no matter what the type of uh, your career direction that you go. And so how do you find a mentor? Well, you don't sit around and send off emails to people and say, hey, I'm getting ready to go in this direction. I really would like for you to be your men- be my mentor. What do you think about that? So my recommendation would be for young people that are seeking out mentors is to get out into the community, attend professional events, like, for example, um, maybe going to a Farm Bureau event might be a great way to meet people. And you meet somebody there, try to follow up with them. Say, hey, can I buy you lunch? I'd like to get to know you better. Or could we go out to dinner? Or can we grab coffee? Or if there's some distance away, ask if there's an opportunity for you to have about a 20 to 30 minute phone call so you can ask questions about their career and try to build a little bit of that um, organic chemistry or that connection. And hopefully within that conversation, you can say, I'd really like to do this again. Would you be interested in perhaps us meeting up on a regular basis? And if you want, you can use the word mentor uh, to them. But I would sort of try to foster it in a very organic fashion um, to try to get that mentor-mentee relationship going. You know, I I like that idea of kind of starting out a little bit slowly so you can make sure that there is a chemistry match there because I think that may have a lot to do with the success of the relationship, just like any relationship. Um, yeah, and then I also like your tip about start out by just asking questions about their career because I think it maybe seems a little bit intimidating to try to find topics to talk about, um, and asking questions is always a great way, I think, to break in. So, Carrie, what is your advice for young women just starting out in their careers? Well, for women who are involved in agriculture, unfortunately, you know, it's still a little bit of a man's world, you know, and. So women are a minority in the workplace in agriculture, and I'm an attorney, and I can tell you that just last week I went to the law conference for women, and I think that the most recent statistic for women attorneys was about 38%. So 38% of lawyers are women, and I don't know what percentage of people in the agriculture industry are female, but understandably, women are a minority, but I believe that women can do anything that they want in the workplace and to try to not make them feel like that's any kind of mitigating factor in their career advances. I also encourage women along those same lines of talking about mentors is to try to seek out perhaps a female mentor uh, in the agriculture industry, maybe in addition to having a a male mentor as well. Uh, I encourage women to think about how they dress, to dress modestly and conservatively uh, if they can, and to really not look at their gender in any way that's going to hinder them. That's great advice, and I uh, thank you for throwing in that little bit about how you dress. Fashion is really an interesting thing, and there's so many cute clothes out there. They're just not all appropriate, and I, I feel like sometimes they can be a distraction, distracting away from your ideas, which is what you'd really like people to probably remember. Um, Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that, um, and there's an entire blog for female lawyers that's called Corporate, and I really love that blog because it talks about kind of expressing yourself as a woman in a in a female way, where you're wearing suits a lot and things like that. But uh, 
I think how you dress and how you present yourself professionally, that image, it's really, really important. And you're absolutely right. Like, I want my posing counsels. I want my clients. I want people that I meet at uh, networking events to think of me and not my outfit. So if that makes sense. Yep, I absolutely 100% agree with you on that. That wraps up this episode of Spark. Carrie, can't thank you enough for being part of this and lending all this really, really wonderful, wonderful advice for our audience. Um, And all you Spark people out there, we hope you'll join us for our next episode. Thank you. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.